0: Welcome to another episode of Emerging Environments. Today we're speaking with Dr. Melissa Lem, who is a family physician located in Vancouver, a clinical professor at the University of British Columbia, and the president elect of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. Melissa started her career as a physician in Northern BC, and then moved to Toronto, where she started to explore the scientific evidence that examines the link between human health and exposure to nature. Melissa is now leading a new initiative among Canada's healthcare providers as the director of the PARX program, which encourages physicians to formally prescribe time in nature to their patients. This program has emerged from the overwhelming evidence of the many health benefits that humans get from nature. As you'll hear us talk about with Melissa, time in nature affects both our physical and psychological well-being in many ways. And here, nature can be something like the deep forests of a provincial park, or even something as simple as tending to your own garden in your backyard.
1: With Melissa, we unpack exactly what's meant by a prescription for nature, where physicians can prescribe a dose of nature and encourage their patients to seek a mindful connection with those spaces. We also talked about the connection between the PARX program and Melissa's work in the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, or CAPE for short, which is focused on the connections between human health and environmental sustainability. It was a pleasure to chat with Melissa about these initiatives and hear about the evidence that shows how we can all benefit from time in nature. So with that, let's get to our conversation with Dr. Melissa Lem.
0: Melissa, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Karen. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So before we get started with some questions about the specific initiatives that you're interested in, uh, we'd like to hear a little bit about your story and how you became interested in the connections between nature and health.
2: I think similar to a lot of people, my story starts in childhood. So I grew up in a, a suburb of Toronto, where thankfully there was a fair amount of green space nearby. Um, but something I really loved was the garden in my backyard that my that my dad grew and my mom grew. There was a rose garden and a vegetable garden, and I spent lots of time there just really getting up close and personal with the plants and, and the fruit trees that were growing there. And then when I was younger, um, when I was when I was a child, around seven or eight years old, my family took us for the first time to Bruce Peninsula National Park, mm-hmm. where um, we camped for the first time and coming from the city, there was always this distant glow that you could <laughs> see that would kind of obliterate the stars, but when we were in the park, just kind of looking up past the campfire, looking up past the shadowy trees and seeing the stars in the sky, these thousands of stars I'd never seen before, I thought, wow, I've I've never been in any place like this before. And I want to keep coming back. Um, and I felt really at home. I think part of the reason why I felt so connected to nature when I was young was because of some experiences i had of feeling not like i quite belonged in my home neighborhood like for example we grew up in a majority white neighborhood there are five kids in my family um all racialized east asian of east asian descent and um we would be teased we'd be bullied on the schoolyard people would call things out at us on the on the sidewalk um and so i just felt like i didn't belong but nature when i went there no one was making fun of me you know i I just felt like it was a place where i could be safe and i could be myself so i think that's really where it started for me was was as a kid as with many people who who really embrace nature and and environmentalism when they grow older and then just through my career for example the funny thing is i i'm actually kind of a failed environmental scientist so um so coming from a, a chinese background my parents wanted us all to be doctors And But I had this idea, I was going to go into the middle of the woods and live in a cabin, um, be some kind of professor and study the forest and study Mm. the animals. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, right before medical school, as kind of a gift for getting in, my parents bought me an environmental expedition, actually, to Kentucky, oh, where yeah. I uh, I tracked cool. um, Kentucky mountain elk with, with a group of environmental bi- biologists and a group of volunteers from, from around the world, actually. And so I spent it was it was like heaven for me. So it was like two weeks in the tall grasses in the forest with um, radio tracking devices, just kind of figuring out um, what the habitats were like of these elk that were being reintroduced to an area that had been mined for coal, actually. Mm-hmm. So. And then I went off to medical school after that experience, and and started looking into the health of humans. Um, and I just found through my medical school career, I I always, when I was confronted with stress, I mm-hmm. I always kind of sought out nature wherever I was. Um, and then my first job was as a full service rural family physician in northern BC
0: oh, wow.
2: after I graduated. And uh, and even though the job was really stressful, even though I was. A new grad, very young. Um, how old was I? I think I was something like 27 years old. Anyway, I was running, I was running a hospital ER. I was delivering babies in the middle of the night, taking care of really sick inpatients in an under-resourced hospital. Mm-hmm. And I still loved it. Like even though it was stressful work, I I personally was not stressed. And I think I realized when I moved to Toronto um, after a couple of years. And I was sitting in my apartment and listening to the streetcars roll by and looking at this tiny patch of sky out my front window instead of mountains and bears walking across my driveway and deer in the hospital garden that I was missing nature. And so about Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, over 10 years ago now, I started looking into the research behind the health benefits of nature because I thought, if I feel this way, I wonder if there's something to back it up. because doctors usually don't believe things unless there's research (laughs) on them, right? So, and then I found there was this huge um, body of knowledge around the health benefits of nature. And I thought, how can, how could I not know this when, when I've grown up loving nature all my life and I'm interested Mm -hmm. in medicine and nature at the same time. So I thought from that point on, it's it's going to be my goal um, for the rest of my career to educate people and inspire people to want to connect to nature for their health and that's my long-winded answer <laughs> as to how I became connected to nature and, and why I'm so passionate about the nature health benefits today.
0: Wow, amazing. Yeah, it really sounds like you uh, got interested at, at a young age and just kept kind of pursuing that that aspect of your you know, interest and career. Um, so So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the research that you did and and what you found about the connection between nature and health and and how being in nature can improve our, our overall well-being. There is this huge body
2: of evidence behind the health benefits of nature and it's been growing for at least the past 4 decades. So there was this this very famous study in the 1980s that looked at patients after gallbladder surgery in the mm-hmm. hospital and they had them in hospital rooms the same hospital either looking out onto a brick wall or looking out onto trees. And mm-hmm. what they found was that the same patients after the same surgery, um, who had their windows looking out on trees, actually left hospital a day earlier, needed less pain medication, bothered their nurses less. Um, So this was just one of the early studies that kind of pointed out to us in healthcare, in particular, how nature can benefit us. And then since then, the knowledge is growing. There have been studies on mental health in nature, there have been studies on um, physiological markers of stress, like cortisol in nature. Um, In 20, there was a big meta-analysis done of, of this big body of research. And what it found was that from chronic lung disease to cardiovascular disease and diabetes, birth outcomes and cancer care outcomes to even eyesight in children that spending time in nature and exposing people to nature in their environments actually led to significantly positive outcomes so i could go on and on mm-hmm. about these health benefits mm-hmm. of nature from both a mental health and physical perspective um mm-hmm. if you if you want to ask me more specific questions i'd happy to expand on that
0: yeah well that that's really interesting cuz my own kind of i guess assumption was that there would be you know quite a bit of a, a connection between you know physical activity and being in nature but the first study that you mentioned was just basically looking out onto you know a green landscape could could have a uh, benefit in terms of recovery from surgery that's that's fascinating to me <laughs> that is I know that's an interesting point and in that's something
2: people often bring up as well Is it the physical mm-hmm. activity benefits because mm-hmm. we know what that exercise is really good for our health and there are benefits over and above exercise as you mentioned just looking at your hospital window at nature there's this one interesting study where they had people exercising and looking at scenes of urban scenes or um, nature scenes and what they found was that when they were exercising, looking at the nature scenes, that their blood pressure actually dropped more and their self-esteem increased more. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are also studies showing that just 15 minutes, for example, sitting in nature compared to 15 minutes looking out at a cityscape can drop your cortisol and your uh, blood pressure significantly more. In fact, the the cortisol and the, the blood pressure don't drop at all when you sit for 15 minutes looking at the city. So there really are some some benefits of nature that, that do go over and above the benefits of exercise.
0: Mm, Wow. Amazing. Um, And so like thinking about your own story, you talked about your own kind of back garden being sort of the first place that really you felt connected to nature so does it does it have to be you know going out in a big national park with mountains and you know as you mentioned bears walking across your path or can it be simply like a beautiful backyard within an urban environment
2: do you know what's interesting is that nature can really be what you make of it so there is also a body of research behind exactly what constitute nature experiences. And Mm. there was one study that came out in 2019 that informs one of the recommendations that we have in our nature prescription program, which we'll talk Mm. about later, I'm sure, that says that we should be spending at least 20 to 30 minutes in nature each time. And it's a study that looked at cortisol drops in, in adults when they spent time in nature. And what they asked these 36 adults to do was spend time in nature for at least 10 minutes each time, at least three times per week, And in any place that made them feel like they had a meaningful nature experience. So they didn't say you have to go to a provincial park or Mm -hmm. in the backwoods or up on the side of the mountain. It's wherever you feel like you've had a meaningful nature experience. And so they found that using that definition, that their cortisol levels actually dropped over 20% more after their self-defined nature experience compared to a non-nature experience. And there's Mm -hmm. also research from groups in Canada actually looking at at people connecting to to provincial parks and what they find again was that the per- perceived quality of those natural areas are what matter most not necessarily what the ecology is in that particular place so mm-hmm. if we can in the city sort of get our minds around the idea that nature has to be on the top of a snow cap or mm-hmm. or in the deep backwoods and that nature really can be what it, something meaningful to us what means something to us in our own environments like a city park Mm
0: -hmm. or even
2: plants on our balconies or um, a community garden or our own gardens that could go a long way towards improving our mental health and our physical health
0: Cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know that totally resonates with me. I lived in New York City for many years. And, you know, it's a very built, very urban environment. Um, but there are beautiful parks there. And that, you know, for me was kind of a, an escape and a way to uh, to kind of de-stress in that really intense <laughs> city Um, so yeah, so maybe we can now talk about, um, one of your initiatives that you're leading this PARX initiative. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that involves.
2: Thanks so much for asking about that. I know I brought it up, but, Mm -hmm. um. PARX it is Canada's first national evidence-based nature prescription initiative and it's powered by the BC Park Foundation and I'm the director of PARX and mm-hmm. it kind of follows the example of a number of different nature prescription initiatives that have taken hold across the world so
0: okay.
2: in 2019 nature was rated by global wellness group as one of the top eight wellness trends in the world and I think this really speaks to how how nature is capturing our imaginations as, as something that's really important for, for our health. So we launched this nature prescription initiative in B.C., first of all, in November 2020. And then we rolled out to Ontario in February 2021. And we're currently working with health professionals and parks organizations in places like Saskatchewan, like Northern Canada, like Atlantic Canada, to start to roll out our program in those, in those places.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the the nature of the prescriptions themselves. You know, how how customizable are they to to patients that are taking part in this program?
2: Um, well, we have a standardized nature dose, because that's something I always think about as a physician, like how much am I supposed to prescribe to a patient when I'm I'm giving them a prescription, right? And so the science has really caught up with this dosing idea. So there is a standard recommendation that patients spend at least two hours each week in nature and at least 20 minutes each time, which I spoke to um, with the cortisol study that -hmm. showed that the most efficient drop of cortisol was between that 20 and 30 minute mark. Our at least two hours per week recommendation comes from another big study that was published in 2019 that looked at well-being and health in adults. And so what they found was that when adults spent at least 120 minutes in nature each week, that they reported significantly higher health and well-being. So that's mm-hmm. where our two hours per week dose comes in. Mm-hmm. And so within that framework, you can you can spend nature um in whatever place you want. So I think we really depend upon the prescriber so that can be any licensed healthcare professional to come up with the patient that they know using the green space in their everyday environments to to figure out what's what's easiest for them, how they can Mm -hmm. most effectively connect. So it could be Mm -hmm. a recommendation as simple as go to the park that's five blocks from your home and sit under a tree and just mm-hmm. and just be mindful and smell and and feel. Um, it can be as simple as saying instead of taking your coffee and sitting in a cafe, which is difficult right now because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but take your coffee to go and walk with a friend um, in on a trail through a park, or sit mm-hmm. at the beach, or sit by the lakeside. I think what we're trying to do is is to encourage healthcare professionals to try to figure out what's easiest for their patients and how to incorporate nature into their everyday lives. So it becomes yeah. routine. So it becomes a habit. It becomes as important for us as exercising and as eating healthy and as, as sleeping enough. Um, we really want to make it that fourth pillar of health and work with patients to make sure that happens.
1: Mm-hmm. And in terms of um, prescribing these doses, I guess I'm trying to think a little bit about prescribing to maybe children or or adults and how that differs? Are there to considerations about age and even culture and gender? Are those factored into how you would prescribe a dose or maybe a specific location for a specific person or something like that?
2: I think that's a great question with kids. Um, the cortisol studies, as far as I know, have not been done on children. Mm-hmm. I think the studies on kids have looked at more um, outcomes like Anxiety and depression, there's been a big focus on physical activity in kids because Mm -hmm. of this epidemic of screen time. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of that two hour recommendation and the 20 minutes that really comes from studies in adults, Mm. Um, that said, there are certain physical activity guidelines that we have for kids. It's recommended that children spend at least one hour active per day Mm -hmm. and what we do know that is even though we you know we don't necessarily recommend exercise in nature we know that when kids head outside they're naturally more active Mm -hmm. and there is research showing that children who spend more time in green space are much more likely to hit their physical activity targets so i would say that two hour recommendation 20 minutes each time could easily be be generalized to kids as well but Mm -hmm. but you're right in that we don't necessarily have that evidence the same evidence that we have in adults
1: yeah. And in, in terms of, um, I guess, maybe, you know, the cultural diversity that we have in Canada, can you talk a little bit about the feedback that you've gotten from people that have been given these prescriptions and maybe how that differs across or maybe doesn't differ across cultures?
2: That's another great question. So I just want to preface this by saying that we we kind of lack research in Canada about how different racialized groups connect to nature, especially on kind of like a provincial and national parks level. Like a lot of this data is collected in a really great way in the. US through their state park system. So they even have um, visitation rates broken down by the, by ethnic groups like for example, we know that um, Asian people and Hispanic people, they make up less than 5% each of the population of people who are visiting their state parks. Um, Mm -hmm. And whereas Black people, for example, make up less than 2% of the population who visit their state parks. And so Mm -hmm. they analyze that data and they try to figure out how to make their parts more accessible and more attractive to, you know to different racialized groups whereas in canada we don't have as much of that data mm-hmm. um one area though that i will mention is that we are collaborating with an amazing researcher and health professional um, who has roots in in the northwest territories in the traditional territory of the Dene. her name is dr nicole redvers and she's actually conducting a study um, she's ramped up her timelines based on how we're trying to launch PARX in the north, um, looking at how to make nature prescriptions relevant and sensitive to the needs of a majority indigenous population. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, when I prescribe nature to someone, I mean, I live in in Kitsilano in BC. It's mm-hmm. it's one might say that it does. It's not the most ethnically diverse here. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have a certain patient population that I'm prescribing to who are actually on the whole, very receptive to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But if you're thinking about prescribing nature to someone whose culture is rooted in a sense of being connected to the land and whose, whose ideas of spirituality are rooted in being connected to the land, how do you as As a, you know, as a settler prescriber, tell them, hey, go outside and spend more time in nature. So I think these are questions that we really have to look at um, Mm -hmm. when expanding this nature prescription program across the country. And luckily, we're working um, with people who can help us figure out those questions. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I was curious, too, about whether or not there's any consideration or or potential to integrate, you know, an educational component to, to the nature prescription where, is it more just focused on, you know, that experience and being more sort of a passive interaction? Or if there's also consideration of, of making it more of an engaged and educational experience with respect to, you know, learning about the plant diversity, um, I don't know, even the, the biogeography of these places, is that something that's, um, that's been considered in, in the development of the program?
2: I think whatever makes people feel like nature is a compelling and interesting place for them to be is what we are interested in. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, some people might not be interested in that. You know, mm-hmm. I I love I love knowing the plants in my in my environment. I love knowing the birds and the trees, but that might not be interesting to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: That said, the BC Parks Foundation actually has a Healthy by Nature initiative that looks to connect people to nature. Um, who wouldn't necessarily already be spending time in nature so, for example, um, what they've done before the pandemic is they worked with Park Bus, which is a bus company that gets people to provincial parks um, and National parks that are harder for people in cities to get to, for example. And what we did is that we focused on um, Mosaic BC, which is a settlement agency for for new Canadians, immigrants and refugees, and also Foundry, which is kind of a mental health hub for youth across BC. And so we took groups of of at-risk youth and of new Canadians out to provincial parks so they could have a nature experience. And we engaged a, a nature guide and also accompanied by a health professional to kind of talk and underline the health benefits of nature while at the same time giving them an experience where the guide could point out the trees and the plants and tell them you know, what, what was present in this environment that they hadn't spent much time in before. Mm-hmm. And the feedback was almost uniformly positive, especially from the kids, they were running around, they were laughing, um, they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they were, looked so happy when they got back on that school bus at the end at the end of the trip, so mm-hmm. I think whatever makes people feel like nature is is a nice place and an interesting place for them to be. We we are definitely behind. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm wondering on the PARX website, it you know it describes kind of a partnership with with BC Parks, and and so I'm curious to know a little bit more about how the partnerships with provincial or territorial parks works in terms of the. You know, Giving out the prescriptions or, or that sort of thing?
2: Within BC Parks, the BC Parks Foundation, which is the who powers PARX, is mm-hmm. they're the official charitable park, partner of BC Parks. So that partnership is quite um, simple and easy because we are sort of an initiative of them. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of parks in other jurisdictions, like in other provinces. I have made contact with, for example, Ontario Parks. Um, we've been in contact with Parks Canada about offering incentives. Like at this point, the partnerships are, uh, and the incentives are not yet finalized, so I can't mm-hmm. really say too much mm-hmm. about them, but that will reduce barriers for people to access nature. So for example, park use fees, which we don't have here in BC. So. it's really kind of on an ongoing basis. Like it Mm -hmm. depends on where we are with rollout in different provinces um, when we connect with different parks organizations. And Mm -hmm. as you may know, Whenever a government gets involved, there are several kind of hoops of bureaucracy to jump through. So Mm -hmm. um, we found that it is easier in some ways to kind of target health professional organizations because that's who are sort of most most familiar with someone like me who's a physician Mm -hmm. um, and who are kind of um, it's it's just easier to get them on board because there's there's less bureaucracy. But we are definitely talking with different um, national and provincial park organizations to to push our program forward with their support.
0: Mm, Yeah, interesting. So I'm curious to know how the broader um, healthcare professional community has kind of embraced this this idea of kind of nature prescriptions. So you mentioned that, you know, nature prescriptions are one of the top eight global wellness trends. And so I'm just curious to know how the reception has been when you've reached out to the broader kind of healthcare community.
2: We actually have, now that we're about six months out out from our initial launch in BC we have almost 800 registered health professionals signed up to prescribe Mm -hmm. and just to put it in perspective that that's a huge number Um, Mm -hmm. the major national park prescription initiative in the US took three years to get to a thousand so here in Canada we took six months to get to 700 and every launch every time we speak with physicians more and more people sign up so the feedback that we've gotten the early feedback that we've gotten is really positive from prescribers so they say things like it's such a joy to prescribe and they keep doing it because of the reception that they get from their patients. Mm -hmm. Um, One doctor, Dr. Megan Davis in Hamilton, who leads up their green healthcare initiative recently emailed me and said, especially in her ADHD patients, she's finding that the reporting like the research shows that their attention is much better after they spend time in nature. Mm-hmm. And on the idea of exercise prescriptions, I'm a, I'm a big fan of exercise prescriptions because there's a pretty good evidence base, obviously a really good evidence base mm-hmm. behind the health benefits of nature and a, a reasonable evidence base behind the, behind the kind of efficacy of um, prescribing exercise. But it's not accessible to everyone because you Mm -hmm. sort of have to be able to mobilize in order to, to fill an exercise prescription. Whereas with nature, it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you ever go outside, it's safe for you to fill your nature prescription. If you don't, if you even don't go outside, you can sit inside and look at nature scenes or listen to nature sounds and get Mm -hmm. some of those benefits. Mm -hmm. So they say it's just a really joyful prescription to give um, and that it's it, It's almost a sneaky way to to get that activity in there because we know when people head outside that they tend to be more active. So it's kind of a way to prescribe something that doesn't necessarily necessarily seem as as intimidating to mm-hmm. people um mm-hmm. and to get those benefits of of both outdoor activity and hopefully ex- outdoor time and hopefully exercise at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think that the the pandemic has kind of reinforce the importance of of going outside and being in nature?
2: I think it really has so there was a national study that was done by the Nature Conservancy of Canada this year and Mm -hmm. what one of the findings it had was that 94 percent of Canadians have said that spending time outdoors in nature has has improved their anxiety and depression during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and so I think Canada overall, we have we have a culture where where we value our beautiful outdoor spaces, but I mean during the pandemic, park use in some areas in Canada has increased by over hundred percent. Like people, be, I think because they have this intuitive knowledge that nature is improving their health and it really improves their mental health. Plus the fact that outdoors is one of the safest places to be right now mm-hmm. has resulted in this this exodus of people into the outdoors, which I think is great. So absolutely, I definitely think that the pandemic has really highlighted to us how important our natural spaces are, especially when, for example, earlier in the pandemic, when we didn't know as much about about transmission and we were worried about people being close together outdoors, a lot of our parks were shut down, like Mm -hmm. provincial parks were closed. National parks were closed. Municipal parks were kind of taped off with yellow caution tape. I mean, now that we know more about about how COVID-19 is transmitted, and again, we know that outdoors is one of the safest places to be, um, thankfully, all those parks are open now. And Mm -hmm. and I think just kind of missing that access to green space early on, in some ways, has really reinforced to us how important it is for us.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I wanted to uh, maybe transition now to talk a little bit about the Canadian Association for Physicians for the Environment. Is that, did I get that correct?
2: Pretty close, yeah. Canadian Association of Physicians for oh, the Environment. It's a mouthful. Physicians.
0: all right. Um, and um, so you're the um, incoming president of CAPE, and I was wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about that and how it, it relates to PARX and, like, sort of the broader mission of CAPE.
2: Do you know, I came to the environmental, environmental movement through the Nature Health Connection, Um I think, as I mentioned, over 10 years ago, I -hmm. I started exploring the connection between nature and health and have really tried to communicate that to the public and advocate for that connection for a long time. But in terms of the environmental movement, I have to admit that I was kind of avoiding it for a while. I thought climate change is controversial. Mm-hmm. I want to stay in this, this little nature health box where it's safe. And, you know, who can argue that nature is good for us? Mm-hmm. But then I realized, especially after I became a mother and, and I started to learn more about, about how the climate emergency was here. And if we didn't take action now, that we'd be looking at an, basically uninhabitable uh, environment for our children by the time by the time they're older, I thought I, I, I need to start pouring some of my energy into climate change. And I think one of the things that we've really tried to emphasize in our program, which is unique from other nature prescription programs, are the planetary health benefits of connecting mm-hmm. to nature. So not only um, will nature-based solutions for climate change, are, are they estimated to get us over 30% of the way towards our Paris Agreement targets, if we fully embrace them, but people who are more connected to nature, research shows that they're more likely to behave in pro-environmental ways. And not only does that include conservation, but it also includes saving energy, um, advocating to politicians, it includes recycling, um, eating less meat. So I think what I've come to see is that through the nature prescription program, we can actually, in some ways, potentially grow this body of engaged citizens who want to take action, not only to conserve their forests and their wetlands, but also to take action on climate change because because Mm -hmm. they're more likely to engage in these pro-environmental behaviors. So I think this is a real moment um, where health professionals could step forward and, and put the trust that the public has in them behind this idea that green spaces are essential for our health, not only for how they sequester carbon, but also how they're good for our mental health. So mm-hmm. I think this is a real moment for for nature and its benefits for health to come forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I noticed that, that Cape has a kind of healthy recovery strategy, kind of uh, coming out of COVID and the pandemic. And really focused on, as you were saying, kind of addressing the climate crisis. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that strategy?
2: Right. CAPE's Healthy Recovery Report came out in the summer of 2020, and it was really aimed at the federal government and giving them 25 different recommendations on regulations they could make and actions they could take to to promote a healthy recovery from COVID-19. Because we have and we are currently investing billions of dollars into different programs, not only for our health, but also for ways that we can move together forward in ways that are healthy for both people and and the environment and climate change so um, we had recommendations ranging from electrification to uh, decarbonizing buildings um, to promoting active transport and phasing out gas-powered vehicles to connecting to and protecting nature um, greening healthcare there were a host of different recommendations that Kind of laid out one path towards a net zero future that would improve both human and and environmental health. And what we we found is we did an analysis that showed that if we hit our Paris Agreement targets um, by 2050, this could actually save um, over 100,000 lives from air quality improvements alone, mm-hmm. and also result in over a billion clean energy jobs. So this is not a trade off between the economy and. And human health and the environment, this is actually something where we can move forward together and improve the economy, improve human health and fight climate change at the same time.
1: So Melissa, I wanted to ask you about, uh, I guess the the interconnection between PARX and Cape, and you know how formal that is, and if there are if there's a vision for you know thinking about some kind of research program related to PARX that could inform the work of of Cape in the future, you know, de- building that evidence space that you you talked about earlier. Is is there a formal relationship there?
2: Cape is one of the founding. Uh, partners of pa So mm. we really relied on them as, as a national physician organization to give relevance um to to the program and to also just kind of uh, give some authority to the idea that physicians support it Mm -hmm. so um, we're really grateful for their support overall we're actually in a process right now of figuring out what our strategic plan is for the next few years especially given that the pandemic has kind of overturned everything and our 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 ideas not to mention our staff so um, we are working right now to figure out what our priorities are and for one i'm going to be pushing to um our our team to to put nature and health as one of our priorities. I mean there's so many different things that we could take action mm-hmm. on now. Um in terms of research we've we've been contacted by I would say over a dozen different um, academics from different academic institutions within Canada and around the world asking if they can be involved in research with our program. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking that kind of pure research um, on kind of efficacy of nature prescriptions outcomes when spending time in nature using our program um, prompted by our program will be more done by those academic institutions. But definitely Mm -hmm. Cape, I mean, we're we're a small environmental charity, you know, we don't have a ton of um, like a lot of NGOs, we don't have a ton of capacity, but uh, Mm -hmm. we would definitely be I can speak when I say we'd definitely be happy uh, to partner with these different research organizations to help spread the word and maybe also just just help with our with our national physician uh, network to mm-hmm. to make connections across the country. Mm-hmm.
1: And I wanted to dig into the topic of mental health, you know, as we we spoke about it already a little bit, but as it relates to, you know, nature experience, and it's definitely something, you know, Karen and I are both teachers and mental health has been on the forefront of uh, education broadly, I guess, writ large over the past uh, year with the pandemic and even before that as well, but it's been definitely uh, accentuated recently. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I was wondering, you know, how, how, how you define mental health, uh, specifically, and then how that definition, you know, how that integrates into these prescriptions for, through the PARX, um, program, how, how that works specifically.
2: I really like the Canadian mental health associations definition of mental health. There are a huge number of definitions for mental health out there, but they, they've really brought it down to these six ideas. So what mental health is defined as really differs from person to of- Person, But I think these are sort of six core ideas that extend across these different definitions. So it's not just absence of disease in terms of or absence of mental illness. It's actually different factors that speak to how we how we live in our environment. So, for example, someone with good mental health is supposed to have a, a sense of purpose, um, strong relationships. They should feel connected to other people. They should have a good sense of self. Um, they should be able to cope with stress and enjoy life. So it's kind of like a broad definition of of the components of mental health. And Mm -hmm. I think with what we're trying to do with our our PERC prescription program, uh, one of our big targets actually is is young adults in particular with with mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. And so we have on our website 14 different fact sheets broken down by different health issues um, to do with different body systems, for example, or, Mm -hmm. or different health issues. And a lot of them actually had to do with mental health. So from mm-hmm. work satisfaction to mental health is actually one of the categories. And in kids, we look at school performance, which is a component of cognition and mental health and also their mental health. So it is really a big priority for our program. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, a lot of the research has to do, a lot of the best research around the nature health connection has to do with mental health. So
0: mm-hmm. I think
2: we really ha- highlight that in our communications and to mm-hmm. the way we communicate our work and kind of the the wording that we use and the resources that we put out there really do have a big focus on on mental health.
1: Yeah, it seems you know a lot of um, people around the world broadly are feeling a lot of anxiety related to environmental degradation, environmental change, and uh, so this this initiative, the P.A.R.X. program, getting people to those spaces, you know, it seems like a <laughs> no brainer is not the best term, but to get people in these spaces where you know they will develop these connections and have that meaningful engagement, it, it seems like such a, a fantastic thing to put focus on. And it, there's it's no surprise that it's it's one of these global trends that people are observing um, around the world. So. Yeah, I'm all all for it, and you know, I try to get my kids out as much as possible. Like we were just at our local conservation area yesterday, actually, and you know, you would just see the biodiversity, and it's that you can tell they they remember it and they remember those experiences. And, uh, and so this is all anecdotal, obviously, but <laughs> I think there is there is that um, clear engagement, and when they go back to you know working on their schoolwork or whatever it is after having that experience, you can tell they're they're more receptive to to try. And to uh, to learn and. Um, this is a bit of a rant here, but
2: <laughs> it's a positive rant, and it's backed up by research, right? I mean, there's so much research showing, especially in kids with ADHD, um, that yeah. their symptoms improve after they spend time in nature. So, mm-hmm. and this, I think, extends to kids, you know, without without ADHD as well. So, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's amazing that this intuitive sense and what we see in our lives and in our families is actually backed up by research. I think that's what I love so much about working in this in this area.
1: Mm-hmm do you do you envision some sort of app that could be associated with the, the PIRX program that could maybe track people's engagement or something like that?
2: We are actually working on such an app right now. So we were really honored to receive a jewel Innovation Grant from the Canadian Medical Association in their category of sustainable healthcare to further the goals of our program. So Mm. we're directing that uh, $50,000 that we got towards development of an app that will incentivize and track nature time. um, So it can lead to answering those research questions and can also get more people outside into nature. So absolutely, the answer is yes.
1: Very cool.
0: I wanted to just um, follow up on one thing that Stu mentioned about, um, you know, kind of this rise in, in eco-anxiety, I guess maybe is the, the terminology. And, and I'm wondering if you have any experience with that and, and kind of with, with patients of yours or with, you know, people that you talk to, youth that you talk to, I know that I've come across it as, you know, when I teach courses around climate change and it's, it's a, um, it's a real thing in terms of on top of, you know, school stress and work stress and all this, these other kind of mental health um, uh, pressures. Eco-anxiety is kind of this somewhat new, I guess, stressor that that young people are having to deal with. And have you seen a rise in that in your work?
2: Do you know, I, I haven't spoken about eco-anxiety in particular with my patients. But what I did notice was that during the huge amounts of smoke that drifted up from the Mm -hmm. US um, last summer, people started decompensating. So, I mean, a lot of my patients actually were doing not too badly from a mental health perspective earlier on in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but once the smoke hit and they couldn't go outside to get um, their time in nature or they felt kind of unsafe indoors and outdoors, I just had so many calls of people who who were more anxious and depressed, needed their medication increased um, because it wasn't safe to go outside. And so I think people really felt eco anxiety,
0: Mm. even
2: if they didn't name it Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also really been lucky to 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 work with and speak with incredible teenagers. There's a group called the Sustainability Teens here in Vancouver, who who is so vocal and active in advocating for um, fighting against climate change. I remember speaking with one of them um, for this public talk that I was giving that was kind of speaking about an environmental health issue we have here in BC tied to how youth are taking action on climate change. And Mm -hmm. the story she told me about how she finally kind of woke up to what climate change was doing and could do in the future um, to her health and the health of her family. Um, after she sort of watched some videos in class, she she spends every every summer, she spends um, time in a camp on mm-hmm. one of the Southern Gulf islands. And she said she remembered just lying in the moss one night. It makes me emotional actually thinking mm-hmm. about it now, um, kind of thinking about where the planet was going mm-hmm. and just crying in the forest. And, and then she said she looked up and she looked around at the trees and she realized that like, this is what she wanted to fight for. Mm-hmm. Um, like as a young teenager, that was what was important to her and that was what inspired her to take action on climate change for the forest for her family so I think um, I think it's just really incredible what some young people are doing, and and in some ways it is actually driven by eco anxiety. But they're mm-hmm. taking that anxiety and they're um, channeling it into into action. And I think that's what we have to do: is feel those emotions, and if and if those emotions can be used to spur to spur us to to take action, to talk to our politicians, to create create initiatives that create a healthier future for us. I think I think it can actually be productive in some
0: ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I maybe have one, one final question, sure. uh, Melissa, about kind of, um, you mentioned when you were talking about CAPE that there are so many different directions you could go um, in terms of, you know, thinking about your strategic planning. Um, and I was wondering if you could give us a, um, an idea of some of the other issues that CAPE is focused on beyond kind of the, the nature health connection. I think a
2: major one we're focused on right now is is carbon emissions reduction and Mm -hmm. reductions and advocating to different levels of government for policies um, that will make sure that happens. So that's a huge one. And that kind of Mm -hmm. falls under the climate change umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, We've also mulled taking action on sustainable health care, um, okay. which, I mean, the, the federal government, like Environmental and Climate Change Canada, just gave a $6 million grant to uh, Fiona Miller, a researcher in U of T, um, in partnership with Dr. Andrew McNeil, who's out here on the West Coast, who are both kind of leaders in sustainable healthcare. So mm-hmm. we think that that's something important for uh, cape to support but it looks like there's already kind of a national network of really well-funded people working on that so mm-hmm. um we'll support but we don't necessarily have to own that we've looked into advocacy around active transport um we're also really active in looking at the impacts of toxics on different mm-hmm. populations in Canada including racialized and indigenous communities so there are lots of different ways um lots of different areas we're looking to pursue and um but we're trying to figure that out again coming out of the
0: pandemic mm-hmm. um
2: where we want to put our
0: energy well we look forward to kind of seeing uh seeing where things go so absolutely
1: yeah melissa thanks thanks for being the, the champion of all this stuff you know both in parx and with cape as well it's fantastic and it's it's all pointing towards you know creating positive energy and positive action towards nature conservation and and mental health across cultures and genders and ages so it's it's really uh such a great initiative and we're we're happy to be able to share it with our listeners
2: thanks Stuart. i i'm just so grateful that that you invited me i'm i'm happy to talk about nature and health and the environment anytime so anyway thanks for listening to me talk
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right